Happy Friday. What is going on? Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. And uh, I know it's fashionable right about now to be soliciting you for money uh, to keep uh, our lights on here. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I am going to ask you to bring a bicycle, though. I'm going to ask you to, to get a bike and to drop it off here at the radio station uh, sometime uh, this evening between 5 and 9 p.m., I believe. That's the best time. Um, I'll be hanging out front uh, along with uh, a lot of other folks from WBT and our partners down the hall, WBTV. Uh, John Hancock's annual bike drive. It's getting underway. People are already dropping off bicycles. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. If you can't bring a bicycle, that's okay. You can make a monetary donation to Kids First. Um our partners, WBTV, they're also doing their uh, Toys for Tots drive. Uh, so if you are planning to come, I will let you know that you're going to be basically running a lap. Follow the people with the flashlights. They'll be directing traffic. You're going to run a, You're basically going to drive a lap around the building. Our, uh, our complex here is surrounded by Moorhead Street, Subtle Avenue, Isom Avenue, or Isom Street, and Julian Price Place. So there, there's roads around all of it. I don't know why they change the name of the road every time, but whatever. Uh, so you're going to basically run a perimeter lap around the building. And this way, if, you know, we get a lot of traffic and there are a lot of people, we'll be able to keep it off of the main road, off of Moorhead. So you're going to want to turn on Subtle, then on Isom, then on Julian Price Place, and then you'll turn into our little horseshoe uh, driveway area and you can drop off the bike uh, there. Or the monetary donation. Or the toy. So, uh, looking forward to that. So, if you can, we appreciate that. Uh, let me uh, let me start here. I got a lot of different topics that, you know, by Friday, I, I just end up with a whole bunch of topics that we didn't get to. And then, of course, you get the breaking news, which I clearly said at the end of the program. I say it every day. Don't break anything while I'm gone. And people do it anyway. I feel like I need to just stop saying it because it happens all the time. So, yes, we got the... The guy stealing luggage, more luggage. We got that. We got Kristen Cinema switching cinema. We'll call her like jumping Jeffords, jumping Jim Jeffords. Uh, remember that guy, Republican senator, Vermont, I believe, and then he switched his party after Republicans finally won control of the U.S. Senate, and uh, George W. Bush was president. Rush named him jumping Jim Jeffords. I think it was his first name Jim. And uh, what we had Lieberman. There was another one. Um. Yeah. So Kristen Cinema, she's not going to be a Republican. She's switching to unaffiliated or quote independent. I don't know what Arizona calls them. North Carolina calls us because I am one unaffiliated. So I, I got some thoughts on that. We'll 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 take calls as well if you'd like to weigh in on that. So all of this stuff is on deck. We also have some updates on the uh, the attacks on the power stations. By the way, got another one, and there are a whole bunch of others that have been going on. Yeah, did you know that? Florida. It's been half a dozen of them in Florida in September alone. Yeah, I'm getting the feeling like there might be something else going on here. Couple that with the fires at the the food processing plants and stuff, right? It's just something is a little weird. Also, condolences to the uh, family and uh, friends and colleagues of Bill Deal. Uh, he is, uh, for folks who may not know uh, the name, Bill Deal was an icon in the legal community. 
uh, for good or bad. Um, he was a lawyer, represented a whole bunch of people, uh, and he uh, uh, founded his law firm, JMD, uh, James McElroy and Deal. And uh, they are sort of a powerhouse, big firm in Charlotte. And um, I would run into Bill Deal at the Hornets games when I worked for a season for the Charlotte Hornets. And he would show up uh, usually along with George Shin, the owner of the Hornets, and they would kind of walk through the back area where all the media was set up and because uh, it was sort of backstage, you know, and so you would, I don't know, you know, on the way to the locker rooms, and they, they had, he had courtside seats, and so you'd see him sitting there. Um, and, and then, of course, he represented George Shin uh, in Shin's trial down in South Carolina. I don't remember if it was a civil proceeding or a criminal proceeding. I want to say it was civil, but I, I don't recall. Um, but I, George Shin was accused of, uh, well, picking up a woman at a rehab center where I think Shin's son was checked in. And so while he was there, he met this woman and they went back to his house, which was in South Carolina, I believe. And um, yeah, because that's where the, that's where the proceedings occurred. And she claims that he sexually assaulted her and Bill Deal represented Shin in that case, which I covered at the time. And uh, this was shortly after a couple, well, yeah, a couple years after um, the O.J. Simpson trial. And the only reason I mention that is because (laughs) Bill Deal in his, uh, first off, in his cross-examination of the the woman who was um, accusing Shin of this, and Shin's position was that it was consensual, um, that he he called her, he caught her in a couple of lies, and then he called her Les Lie instead of Leslie. I don't remember her last name. Called her Les Lie. Kept calling her Les Lie. And then in the summation, I may, I think he actually called her Les Lie in the uh, in his in his closing, and. Uh, he summoned uh, sort of a Johnny Cochran-esque rhyme that if she's not biting, she's not fighting. That was what his close was. He won. He won the case. And Shin got, like, nothing. I, I, I believe he walked free after that. So, I, again, I don't remember if it was criminal charges. I think it was civil. Um, but a powerhouse attorney, uh, again, no matter what you think of him, left his mark on the legal community here in uh, Charlotte. All these many years. Uh, all right, so let me, I'm going to go to a uh, an update on a story that we have been following now since uh, well Monday because the first release of the um, of the Twitter files happened on Friday, right? Okay. Right. Okay. All right. So the the release happens Friday of the first round, uh, we expected another round to be released soon thereafter. Over the weekend was the thought. But then there was a delay on more of the files being released. And we find out midweek that the reason why was because as they were the two reporters who uh, have been uh, brought in by Elon Musk in order to go through all of these records and, and files the sort of the back office stuff of Twitter uh, to find out what exactly has been going on in the way Twitter has been policing its platform, but also the way it it handled 
uh, content moderation and the info, like the first dump that occurred on Friday, uh, you know, proved with all of the evidence that uh, the Hunter Biden laptop story was in fact suppressed by surrogacy. Right? It, it was the uh, the FBI did not want the story out. They did not want to um, investigate it, and so they obviously quashed it inside their own ranks because they had the laptop for a year. And then they went about convincing the big tech companies that uh, the Russians were going to interfere with the 2020 election, just like they did in the 2016 election, which, of course, the FBI advanced that and amplified that narrative, which was not true either. Um, And they uh, they then told the big tech companies, you don't want to run this stuff. You know, you want to kind of moderate. You want to be on the lookout for this this, you know, hacked story, a story of hacking and leaking and probably about a. Uh, Hunter Biden, maybe a laptop or computer or something. But they knew exactly what was coming because also they were monitoring communications with the reporter who actually did break the story in the New York Post. So they knew what was coming. Uh, They did the advance work, right? They prepped the big tech companies that something might be happening. And then they, of course, followed it up with the letter in the uh, in the media from the 51 former Intel heads. And they said, oh, this looks like Russian disinformation. Right. So this this was a propaganda op. And that was all confirmed with the first release uh, of the first batch of the Twitter files, and so now the so now the second yeah okay all right so the second release now just happened last night. I'll tell you what that's about up next. Hey, I got a new idea for you for a. Uh, Holiday tradition for a Christmas tradition started this year. Now through January 6th, Light the Nights Festival. Uptown, Charlotte, Truist Field. Oh, they got tons of stuff. They got the light shows. They got the live entertainment. They got holiday treats. They got Christmas trees. They got shopping. They got Santa. They got a 150-foot snow tubing hill. And, of course, the famous ice skating rink. You can figure skate. They got you know hockey lessons that they can teach you. They're going to run tournaments there. The only uptown regulation size outdoor hockey rink. I think they say the regulation size because, you know, if you get get some uh, freezing rain, right, like the streets will get covered. That's not regulation. Definitely not. So go check out Light the Nights Festival now through January 6th at Truist Field. Uh, alrighty, so the first dump of the Twitter files was the... Oh, my goodness. Right. The first the first dump was Friday, and it proved what we had uh, suspected, even like then the gaslighting occurs. But it proved what we had suspected, that the FBI was using Twitter uh, and the people specifically that were in charge of these decisions to throttle the Hunter Biden laptop story. That was sort of the first uh, proof that was offered up. Now, the gaslighting quickly ensued where you had people that were like, well, you know, we always kind of knew that they were working together like. Whatever. So that's now been confirmed. And they started attacking the journalists, Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss, for putting these documents out there. By the way, these are the same people that rely on a single unnamed anonymous source uh, that uh, th- that would then, you know, say Trump did this terrible thing and everybody would pile on. I got to confirm too. I got to confirm too. And then you find out six months later, oh, no, that never actually happened. And then, of course, they never burned those anonymous sources as I would, you tell me wrong information on purpose to use me to plant stories, we're done. 
We're done. So uh, the second dump occurred last night. A new batch of internal Twitter communication records released Thursday evening confirm that the tech giant has been shadow banning prominent conservative accounts without users' knowledge. They've been doing it for years, despite the former CEO, Jack Dorsey, claiming otherwise. Now, I would point out here, Elon Musk defends Jack Dorsey, saying, well, here, I have his tweet. Controversial decisions were often made without getting Jack Dorsey's approval, and he was unaware of systemic bias. Mm-hmm. The inmates were running the asylum. Jack has a pure heart, in my opinion. That's what Elon Musk tweeted last night after the release uh, of these documents. So let me read through. Um, this is from Barry Weiss. She f- is formerly of the New York Times. Of course, everyone is attacking her, not everyone, the, the media uh, and her fellow, you know, journalismers. Uh, they are uh, they're attacking her for reporting this stuff. And they're like, oh, man, she's this is crap. Like, man, she really could have used an editor here. And oh, my gosh, she's she's just got this background internal information. Like, We already knew this was happening. This is already part of the terms of service. So first they deny that the thing occurs, and then when the proof emerges that the thing was actually occurring, that they said wasn't occurring, they say, well, of course it was occurring, and it was for our own good and your own good. Oh, yeah, and if you read the terms of service, which, of course, nobody reads, but if you read that, then you'll see that it's right there in the rules. Oh, they have, a, they have an FAQ as well, and it says that they can, you know, limit people's reach and stuff like that. Right. But that is a different thing than what is exposed in this latest round of documents. So I'll explain here. So let, first, here are, the, uh, here are the tweets. And this was, by the way, one of the conditions. I think it's the only condition. And she mentions it somewhere in, in her tweet storm here, or her, threads, uh, her thread of tweets, is that uh, they had to break the news on Twitter. That, that was the, uh, that's what they got in exchange for being the journalists that Elon Musk hands off this story to, to act essentially as an ombudsman. And for, for the youngsters out there, you may not know what an ombudsman is. It's a terrible word, first of all. But second of all, it used to be a position that a lot of media uh, newspapers actually had, right? They, they would staff somebody who would read through their own paper and critique the, their own paper and call out bad reporting or mistakes or, uh, you know, more context or something, they were there as an accountability metric. And, um, and of course, they got rid of those positions because, you know, why are you going to employ somebody to tell everybody that you're wrong about something when you're trying to convince everybody you're right about something? So uh, the ombudsman has uh, long been retired from uh, from the stable of newspaper employment. Um, but... That's essentially what Barry Weiss and uh, Matt Taibbi are doing for Twitter. Like, that's my take on it, is that they were brought in. They're like, here you go. You got access to this stuff. They, apparently, they've even been given company laptops so they can get access to all of the stuff. I mean, and Lord knows they've got enough extra laptops after they fired 70% of the uh, workforce there. Um, oh, and also, yes, okay. So also, did you see this, that... The city of San Francisco is now going to investigate Twitter. You know why? Because 
somebody posted pictures that they're setting up some of these uh, these empty offices that have couches in them and people are are sleeping on them. So they're they're putting pillows out and they're converting quote unquote converting bedrooms so they could wake up, do work, go to sleep, catch a nap, whatever. And so the city is now going to be investigating them for violations of the code because it's a commercial property, not a residential property. And I saw somebody mention yesterday, like, I think we're missing a point here, a really big point, which is that Elon Musk has apparently now found a way to actually get housing in downtown San Francisco, which hasn't been done in like 30 years. Credit where it's due. Talk 1110-993-WBT. So no, you're not crazy. Your favorite conservatives on Twitter were in fact, quote, shadow banned, despite being told by the CEO of Twitter at the time, Jack Dorsey, and all of the management of Twitter, that that was not happening. In fact, it was happening. They called it something else. They called it um, blacklists. They had blacklists that they had set up, and they called it visibility filtering. Now, part of this is, yes, public information. Like, you know, they have the terms of service, they have an FAQ on the website, and so if you do something, you violate the term of service, then yes, they can take action against you. But the indication has always been that these are algorithms that kind of catch people up, and sometimes, you know, inadvertently so. You then file an appeal with the company. Hey, give me my account back or, you know, unsuspend me or something. And then they're like, oh, sorry, made a mistake. The AI, you know, scooped you up, whatever. But a shadow ban is different. A shadow ban came via manual input. In other words, there were people in Twitter that would go through and slap these blacklist tags, these labels, onto different accounts. And the accounts that they were... Uh, that they were tagging were these big conservative accounts. And then they would not tell them. So unlike a, a violation of the terms of service where you get suspended or you get a warning or something, they're not even telling these accounts that any action has been taken. They're just taking it. They're throttling you back. I believe this has actually occurred to me, if it is probably still occurring. I, I don't know. There's no way because I'm not a big enough account like these other guys that they did list. I I, I, I would very much like to see a list of uh, or, or see my account to see if I'm on any of these lists. Because I have had many people tell me over the last few years that they cannot find me, they don't see me in Twitter. They have to actually go and search for my name. And that is one of the ways you find out if you're on one of these block lists, or black lists, I should say. Is if you try to run a search for somebody and they don't pop up unless you... Give the entire name. Now, some people were actually put on a search blacklist. So you couldn't even find them if you searched for their name. But normally how it works is if you follow 100 people on Twitter, right? You follow 100 people and whatever they're posting is going to show up in your feed, in your timeline. You're going to see that stuff. But if if Twitter executives slap one of these blacklist tags on you, then... You're not going to be able to, people will not see your tweets. And they won't know they're not seeing your tweets. They'll just think you don't tweet, which is what I've had people say to me. And then they find me and they're like, oh my gosh, you tweet a lot. I do. 
which is why I suspect I'm on one of these lists. I don't know which one, but there are a bunch of them. So here's Barry Weiss uh, last night in the second installment uh, of what are now being called the Twitter files. Right. So she's... Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So she says... A new Twitter files investigation reveals that teams of Twitter employees build blacklists, prevent disfavored tweets from trending, and actively limit the visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics, all in secret without informing users. See, this is what people on the right have suspected for years, that a topic that is in fact popular doesn't get, quote, trending status. So in other words, you open up the file, or you open up the app, you're looking on Twitter, and you're like, oh, what are people talking about? And you click trending. And there are certain topics that these Twitter executives would block from being listed as trending because they didn't want you to see what people are talking about. Twitter once had a mission to, quote, give everyone the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. Along the way, though, barriers nevertheless were erected. Take, for example, Stanford's Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who argued that COVID lockdowns would harm children. Twitter secretly placed him on a trends blacklist, which prevented his tweets from trending. See, so when you hear people, oh, this is just conservatives complaining. Mm-mm. This was during COVID. Twitter was, Twitter was blacklisting doctors with different opinions, preventing the, pop, uh, the, the population from getting all information, from hearing a robust debate about stuff that is literally life and death. Consider also the popular right-wing talk show host Dan Bongino, who at one point was slapped with a search blacklist. You couldn't even find him if you searched for him. Twitter set the account of conservative activist Charlie Kirk at Do Not Amplify. Twitter denied that it does such things. In 2018... Twitter's Vijaya Gaddy, then head of legal policy and <clears throat> trust, along with the head of products, Kayvon Bakepour, 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 I know, I think it's how he pronounces it, or she. Anyway, they say, quote, we do not shadow ban. And then added, quote, we certainly don't shadow ban based on political viewpoints or ideology. And that has now been exposed as a lie. Once again, and you've got journalismers that are out there denying that this is actually what we're looking at. These are propagandists. They are gaslighters. They don't want you to believe the thing that you are reading with your own eyes. What many people call shadow banning, Twitter executives and employees call visibility filtering or VF. Multiple high-level sources confirmed this meaning. Think about visibility filtering as being a way for us to suppress what people see at different levels. You can move things in between the levels. It's a very powerful tool, said one senior Twitter employee. VF refers to Twitter's control over user visibility. It used VF to block searches of individual users, to limit the scope of a particular tweet's discoverability, to block selected users' posts from ever appearing on a trending page and from inclusion in hashtag searches. And all of this was done without their knowledge, without the user's knowledge. 
Quote, we control visibility quite a bit, and we control the amplification of your content quite a bit, and normal people do not know how much we do, said one Twitter engineer. Two additional Twitter employees confirmed. The group that decided whether to limit the reach of certain users was called the SRTGET, the CERTGET, SRT-GET. It stands for Strategic Response Team dash Global Escalation Team, the CERTGET. It often handled about 200, quote, cases per day, but there existed a level beyond official ticketing, beyond the rank-and-file moderators following the company's policy on paper, right? That would be the SIPPES, the S-I-P-P-E-S. This is the Site Integrity Policy Policy Escalation Support. (laughs) I don't know why they come up with these crazy names and these abbreviations. Okay, but this secret group included the the head of legal, um, so that woman, Gaddy, Legal Policy Trust, right? That was... Vijaya Gaddy, the head of uh, Trust and Safety Global, that was the guy, Yoel Roth, and subsequent CEOs, Jack Dorsey and Parag Agrawal, along with others. And this is where the biggest, most politically sensitive decisions got made. Think high follower count. Think controversial. For these people, for these users, there would be no ticket. There would be no paper trail. It was just a discussion among the brass. One of the accounts that rose to this level of scrutiny, Libs of TikTok, right? This is the account that used to show up all the time and then got blacklisted on the trending page. And it was designated with a special classification, a special tag, which was do not take action on user without consulting with SIPPES, which is the, that's the top brass, right? The secret group. Do not take action on user without consulting the top brass. That was a special label. That account, Libs of TikTok, is run by a woman named Chaya Rachik. She began it in November 2020 and it now has over 1.4 million users. It was subjected to six suspensions in 2022 alone. Each time she got blocked from posting for as long as a week. And Twitter repeated for violating their policy against hateful conduct. But internally, they knew that was bunk. We now have records that show they didn't have any proof that she had violated the terms of service. She, all she does is take videos that leftists post on TikTok, and she puts them on Twitter. That's all she does. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Let's jump over to the phones here and get Matt. Hello, Matt. Welcome to the program. Hey, Pete. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, this really brings a very troubling question in mind. Is Did any of these Twitter, Twitter employees receive any kind of payments, any gifts, or other financial compensation from the Department of Homeland Security or the FBI? Or for that matter, the Chinese Communist Party, because this would be a very easy place to to send the government dollars to change the outcome of narratives. And I don't think be- they even needed to pay them, though. There, there, there's no it wasn't necessary for them to uh, to pay these Twitter employees. They were willing participants. The FBI just needed to give them a plausible story and they were willing and, and eager to buy it. 
because but it fit I, their narrative. I think we're going to find out that there were dollars ex- being exchanged here. From what? From the government to Twitter? From the government, yes. I think the government was, was I, I think we'll find that out. The government was giving them cash, and I think also you'll find out that the Chinese Communist Party was giving them cash. We don't know that for a fact now. No, I've seen no evidence. No, it does stink, but I've seen no evidence about any kind of direct cash payments like you're talking about. But that's the question. Because if they did, there was definitely a, a, a violation of the First Amendment. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't believe that there's a violation of the First Amendment because well, the Twitter, uh, how Twitter handles censorship on its platform, is at the end their own decision, right? They're, yes, they're, but if they're being financially incentivized, then it would be a violation. No, I, even then, I don't believe so. I mean, I could be wrong. I'm no, I'm no lawyer. I know what I call it is censorship by surrogate. I mean, that's that is the government absolutely had an interest in making sure that their narrative, uh, you know held sway and was pushed versus the truth. Right. But then you're saying, okay, it's it's only it's only a violation if the federal government comes in and shuts your press down. But if they buy you off, that's not a violation. No. That's not a no, because that's your choice whether to be to self censor at that point. Well right if the government breaks no, no if the government breaks your printing press, right, that's then that's not right. If you break your own printing press because the government says, hey, you can keep printing or you could take this bunch of money and you take the money and break your own printing press, that was your call to do. That's all. Well, uh, and that may be true, but from my point, we, we, can, we can differ there, but the whole thing stinks. Yeah, oh, yeah, we agree on that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it would not – look, the, if you want to talk about money, and Matt, I appreciate the call, you want to look at the money aspect of it, how much money did the government pay in advertising? I'd be curious to know that. Were, were these agencies spending money on Twitter advertising and helping the company that way? Um, by the way, Andy No, um, journalist out west, did a lot of you know the Antifa protest stuff. He just had a uh, well, actually, this was during the uh, the dump of the files last night. He says Barry Weiss does not name too many names, but the head of Twitter's strategic response team. Where uh, when secret actions were taken to stifle conservative accounts, that happened under a fellow by the name of Jeff Carlton, and Jeff Carlton's LinkedIn account, which has now been deleted after he tried to change his name, where he did change his name to simply Jeff C to try to hide it, and then he just deleted it. The guy who was in charge of that department used to work for the CIA and the FBI as well. <laughs> Okay. And I'm, and, and I'm not supposed to think that there's any kind of propaganda effort underway here. Like I said, the government gave them what they wanted to believe. And that's, that's the hallmark of all good propaganda, right? Bob, welcome to the program. Hey, Bob. Uh, hi, Pete. Uh, I'm on my walk, so please pardon my winded voice. But, uh, just briefly on the previous gentleman's point, if it, someone in the government was encouraging them to uh, quell somebody else's First Amendment rights. That would be on the government, not on the Twitter employee. It would still be a violation of First Amendment rights, but that would be on the government, not not the Twitter. 
anyway. Yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know if I if I agree with that, because the government can come in and say, hey, look, there's a bunch of stuff that's about to happen, like with the Hunter Biden laptop. Uh, and they can say, oh, this person is, you know, uh, uh, is is you know problematic or saying things that are are suspicious or something. But they don't ever. And I've seen no evidence that they actually directed any accounts to be taken down. Twitter did that on its own. Now, you could say they did it because the FBI told them that, oh, these are problematic accounts. And, oh, it just so happened that it lined up with the political biases of the people at Twitter. Right. Mm-hmm. But I've seen nothing that indicates the FBI directed those accounts to be taken down. Yes, not not accounts specifically, but uh, certain subjects. But anyway, here's the point I wanted to make is, are you are you familiar with Tim Pool? Yeah. Okay, uh, there was this. This goes to the notion that Jack Dorsey didn't really know what was going on, and the Jaya Gaddy did. Yeah, uh, Tim Pool was on Joe Rogan's show uh, with Jack Dorsey and Vijaya Gaddy. Did mm-hmm. you see that episode? I did. It's been a while, but yeah. My whole impression the whole time, and it was a Joe Rogan link podcast. Yeah. The whole time, I had the impression that Vijaya Gaddy was behind everything and Jack Dorsey wasn't even there. He didn't even know what was going on in his own company. Right. Well, when he came, because remember, they they ousted him at one point, right? Or he left. I thought he got ousted. And then he, and I appreciate the call, Bob. Um, he got, he left and then they brought him back because he was being run so poorly. But he had already started another venture at that point. And so, yeah, I always got the impression that he was not devoted full time to Twitter when he returned. And he kind of, you know, he outsourced a lot of the management. I agree with you.